What's up everyone? I'm Brian Carroll and I help people move more, eat well, and be adventurous. And today I have Jeffrey Smith on the show to talk about some of these GMO microbes that could potentially cause massive destruction to the planet. Now, for example, one of the ones that we'll talk about is a bacteria that they discovered right before they were about to release it, that it would liquefy plant roots. And if that gets out into the world, what's that going to do to the vegetation in the world? We don't know. Is it going to liquefy all plants or just specific ones? Those are the questions that need to be asked before these things get released, because once they're out, it's over. You can't really stop it. So we're going to be discussing different microbe changes that people have been working on and how easy it is to manipulate these microbes as well. And it sounds like you can just buy a kit on Amazon and do your own experiments. So there are a lot of concerns that we should have with these and maybe some regulations need to come down the pipeline to prevent damage. Now, Jeffrey, he is a leading spokesperson on GMO health dangers, and he has authored two global bestsellers. He's directed five films. He's delivered thousands of lectures and interviews in 45 different countries. And he is now sounding the alarm about the serious, even irreversible hazards from new genetic engineering techniques, which can lead to health and environmental catastrophes. He also leads the Global Protect Nature Now Coalition, urging governments to stop releases of all genetically engineered microbes. Thank you, Jeffrey, for coming on to the show. My pleasure, Brian. I'm super excited to chat with you because we're going to be diving into GMOs and how that can impact our planet and um, how it can impact future generations. But before we get started with all that, let's learn a little bit more about you, your background, and how did you get into all this information about GMOs? 25 years ago, I attended a lecture by a genetic engineer whistleblower who was saying basically that Monsanto's seeds that were about to be planted and grown in Iowa, where I was at the time, were completely unsafe for human consumption and for the environment. That the process of genetic engineering was inherently unpredictable and could create toxins or allergens for those that eat, and that once you put them into the environment, they would cross-pollinate self-propagate, and be part of the environment forever. And I also realized that very few people knew at the time what a GMO was. So I thought I would help out. And by meaning, by saying help out, I had no idea that 25 years later, I would have written two books, made five movies, given a thousand lectures and a thousand interviews in 45 countries, and established a, a new global movement based on the health dangers of GMOs. And now after 25 years, as you alluded to, there's some new existential threats that can affect all future generations. Existential, truly, in the real sense of the word. So we are pivoting for the first time in 25 years and focusing on a new area of genetic engineering based on new types of GM GMOs. And we can talk about that too. Yeah, let's do a little quick and dirty version of what is a GMO. And I'm sure when people think of GMOs, they're probably thinking about plants, but we're we're not just talking about plants at this point. So can you give us a little quick and dirty version? Sure. The original plants that were genetic, genetically engineered um, were Monsanto's varieties. The Monsanto has been bought by Bayer, but they still have the same seeds that are Roundup ready, genetically engineered with genes from bacteria or viruses forced into the DNA of soybeans and corn and cotton, etc. 
and the change in the genome allows those plants to be sprayed with Roundup herbicide and the plants won't die. Normally it kills plants, but the genetically engineered varieties do not die. And so there's millions of acres of genetically modified Roundup-ready crops that are sprayed with Roundup. So we get the damage from the GMOs, which is can be extensive, and we, we can discuss the premature death and the multiple massive tumors and the organ damage, etc., that have been linked to GMO technology itself. But you also get the Roundup herbicide sprayed on those crops, and that's also devastating. You have crops that produce an insecticide that poke holes in the guts of insects to kill them, and now we know that they may poke holes in human cells based on peer-reviewed published studies. And then you have other GMOs that um, prevent the browning of apples and potatoes when you slice them, or that protect, protect against virus infection of the plants. And there's about a dozen, and all of them, all of them are prone to unpredicted side effects. And as we've looked into them, we see that the technology, just like it was 25 years ago, is prone to side effects, is not ready for prime time, should never have been introduced, and is probably responsible for a lot of diseases that are rising in the US population in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and the Roundup sprayed on it. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because it seems like whenever we get our hands into things and try to change things, there's always unintended consequences that we don't know is going to happen, obviously. So, um, and the, then we get into this whole track of trying to change things more to try and fix the issues that we already caused, and it's just an endless cycle. Uh, when it comes down to GMO plants, how many different varieties are there currently, do you know? Well, the commercialized food plants are soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, alfalfa, zucchini, yellow squash, papaya from Hawaii or China, um, and an apple and potato that don't turn brown when you slice them, and now a new pink papaya. And those are the genetically engineered commercialized food crops, both for humans and for animals. There's also genetically engineered salmon, which will be on U.S. plates shortly, probably through restaurants where they don't have to be labeled. And GMOs in general in the stores don't have to be labeled either. So if you eat a processed food in the United States and it doesn't say organic or non-GMO, nine out of 10 uh, uh, processed foods will contain soy or corn or cottonseed oil or canola oil or sugar from sugar beets or one of the others. And so it's in a lot of people's diets unless they're seeking to avoid it. So you're saying I could go to the store and buy salmon and it could very well be a genetically modified salmon and they don't have to tell me? Salmon is unique for three reasons. First of all, because these genetically engineered salmon could threaten the Alaskan wild salmon. An Alaskan senator and congressman, I think it was both, introduced a bill that required labeling of the salmon. So that's the only, um, well, it's going to be the only fish that's genetically engineered, and it will require specific labeling. Now, the labeling laws that, that the USDA passed for other GMOs are so ridiculous, they don't even, they're not even enforced yet. They have so many loopholes that almost nothing will be labeled as genetically engineered 
And if it is labeled, it might be a QR code that you have to scan or obscure message saying BE that you have to know means bioengineered. So the if the salmon were to be sold in supermarkets, it would be labeled. But because it would have to be labeled, Aqua Bounty, which is producing the salmon, is not going to put it in supermarkets. They're going to sell it through restaurants that don't require labeling. So if you go and eat, if you order salmon and it's not wild caught, it might be farm raised, genetically engineered, and not yet. That's the other thing that's different. It's it was available in Canada for a while through restaurants and caterers, and it will be available supposedly soon in the United States, but it's not currently out there. If people go to our website at responsibletechnology.org, you can sign up and you'll get notification when it's available so that you can know to avoid it. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so when it comes to a GMO, so we're changing crops and um, uh, fish at this point as well to be able to be resistant to, um, in the crops sense, Roundup so that we can use the pesticides uh, to keep all the pests off. Do the pests adapt to the GMOs or do they become resistant? And then uh, does that just make the problem even worse? So when you talk about pesticides, it's both herbicide and insecticide. And in both cases, yes, the weeds and the bugs outsmart Monsanto and become resistant. So the herbicide tolerant weeds in the United States are more than 80% of the of the agricultural farmland right now, um, they do not die easily just by being sprayed with Roundup since it's been used so much. So now they have crops that are also genetically engineered not to die when sprayed by 2,4-D, a component of Agent Orange, or dicamba. And so you end up with more and more and more variety of herbicides being used, vastly more, and that increases the load on humans and the load in the environment, and it's very dangerous. And the insecticide, which is called Bt, which is found in corn and cotton and in South America in soy, it kills insects, but those insects are becoming resistant. And so in some studies, they have found that there's the insects become resistant and the farmers have to use 15 to 20 times more spray than the control group, or sometimes one particular insect has been successfully staved off and a whole nother swarm comes in to fill the ecological niche, which is what happened in India. So it turns out it's backfiring over and over again. And unfortunately, we eat that insecticide in the corn that we eat in the United States. And we now know that in high concentrations in a lab setting, that it pokes holes in human cells. It's the same holes that it's used to kill the insects. And we also know that it ends up in our bloodstream. So it may actually poke holes and then go through that holes into the bloodstream. And for pregnant women, it's in most of their unborn fetuses, according to a Canadian report. So this BT toxin pokes holes in human cells, provokes an immune and allergic response, is found in genetically engineered corn, found in our bloodstream, also damages the walls of our intestines. It's one of the reasons why genetically engineered corn is so dangerous, in my opinion. Yeah, wasn't it a couple years ago that uh, a report came out that they tested a bunch of processed foods that um, have been spouted for years that they're 
you know, glyphosate free and all that type of stuff. And they were able to find glyphosate in the finished product of the foods, which again is getting into your system and then causing havoc. And that, Brian, is not just because of genetic engineering, because Roundup, which has as its primary poison glyphosate, which has been linked to cancer and more than 30 diseases. Basically, if you know a common chronic disease, we have evidence that likely links it to glyphosate and Roundup, that um, Roundup is also sprayed on non-GMO crops just before harvest to dry down those grains and beans. So it's found in oats and wheat and barley and uh, all the lentils and chickpeas and mung beans dramatically, I mean, big time, because it's sprayed just before harvest and it's taken into the crop. You can't wash it off. It moves to the seed portion and it ends up in our meal. So we have gathered together all of the different organizations' tests, including our own, and put it in a database that's easily searchable on responsibletechnology.org. There you can get your test results, see if the foods you're eating, both the generic foods like the fruits and vegetables and grains, and also the brand-named processed foods, you know, from General Mills or Kraft, if they have glyphosate residues. And you'll find that the organic versions either have no detectable levels or very slight amounts because organic foods are not allowed to be sprayed intentionally with Roundup. They're not allowed to use genetically engineered seeds. So we encourage people to switch to organic. And when people do, it's astounding. I asked at about 150 lectures to the audience, what did you notice when you switched to a non-GMO and largely organic diet? And the hands went up and people described what went, what, what got better. And I said, okay, how many people noticed this? How many people noticed this? We then surveyed 3,256 people were subscribers at the Institute for Responsible Technology. And they too got better from the same 28 different conditions that were mentioned by the people in the audiences and in the same relative frequency, 85% of those more than 3,000 people reported getting better from digestive disorders and then fatigue and then uh, obesity and, and weight problems and then brain fog and then allergies and food sensitivities and anxiety and depression. And I'm still above 50% of the respondents. So it was dramatic. And I've talked to medical conferences where two dozen of them where the doctors say their thousands of patients also respond positively switching to an organic diet. I created a film with Amy Hart called Secret Ingredients at secretingredientsmovie.com where you can actually track uh, families that switch to organic and autistic kids are no longer on the spectrum, infertile couples have children, people lose all sorts of diagnoses and problems. And the doctors say, these are not just one-offs. This is what I see every day in our practice and we explain with animation showing exactly what happens in the body because of GMOs and Roundup that's based on the science. So now my question comes to if you have an organic farm that is relatively close to a farm utilizing GMO crops, can the GMO farm cross-contaminate the organic farm? And if Definitely. so, is there ways to know how, like, the cross-contamination levels and how that could impact you? Great question. 
There are certain requirements for growing that you have to be a certain distance, but that doesn't prevent it completely. There's wind, there's accidents, there's shipping and transport issues, and measures are taken to try to minimize the contamination. But sometimes the contamination has occurred even in buying the organic seed. It's already contaminated. You can't take it out. Now, the contamination for organic is usually very small. Sometimes there's fraud, sometimes there's accidents, but it's usually very small. And with organic certification, you do not have to test for levels of contamination. The non-GMO project, that little butterfly seal, that does require testing. And they have a, an action threshold of 0.9%. So if it's high, uh, then they're not going to get the butterfly seal. So if you see something at the supermarket that has both organic and non-GMO project seal, that's actually the gold standard. But if you had to choose between one and the other, organic is better, and here's why. The non-GMO project is really good at avoiding GMOs, but they don't test for or concern themselves with sprays of toxic, toxic pesticides like Roundup. And so you can have a non-GMO project verified bowl of oatmeal. Oats have never been genetically engineered, but oats have among the highest amounts of Roundup residue. And Roundup can block the absorption of minerals, can cause leaky gut, can lead to cancer, can cause problems with your serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, and hormones, can damage the mitochondria. I mean, it can cause birth defects. Uh, there's animal models that show the impact can last to the great-grandchildren. It is something that is so devastating when you look at the smoking shotgun of converging lines of evidence. You want to avoid Roundup and glyphosate residues. Trust me. So there, all, all I suggest is switch to organic and take notes. Write down your energy level. Write down your mood. Write down all of your symptoms, 1 to 10, and the percentage of organic foods eaten that day. Switch to organic for a few weeks and watch the changes. But write them all down, all your symptoms, because you may watch the movie Secret Ingredients and say, oh, they had eczema, it cleared up. I've got eczema, and it cleared up. But you may not be paying attention to your anxiety or to your gluten sensitivity, or to some other thing that may actually have cleared up, but you're not paying attention to it, so you don't know the relationship. It is so, it turns out that glyphosate damages the fundamentals of health. It knocks out key components to our health, which can manifest in a variety of ways. In Secret Ingredients, one family of five, they all had different symptoms. There was a boy with autism, and another boy with eczema, another boy with digestive disorders. Uh, the mother was, was incapacitated and paralyzed for a while and had all sorts of symptoms. The father had a breast tumor. They all ended up getting better, but it was the same toxin that was manifesting in different ways depending on the individual physiology. But one change reversed it for everyone. So it's not like we can say this is the thing that's going to happen. We say, try this and see what happens. Yeah, essentially what it's doing is it's opening the barrier within your body for things to break. And the things that break can change from person to person. For you, you know, your gut might break. For me, it could be my brain breaks and I start getting anxiety, depression, all that type of stuff. So um, I am a very big advocate for people 
you know, journaling their different health issues that they're dealing with and try to make connections with how much sleep they've had recently. Um, what's in their environment? You know, is there a lot of smoke in the environment? What foods are they eating? How much are they exercising? So they can start seeing patterns and seeing what could potentially be the issue. But certainly put the percentage of organic because the thing is, if you eat, if you think about, let's say, eating pizza, you can eat the pizza that's organic and you can eat the pizza that's not organic. Now, the pizza that's organic won't have the wheat sprayed with Roundup because um, wheat is often sprayed with Roundup three to five days before harvest. The cheese may not be from cows that have been injected with genetically engineered bovine growth hormone, etc., etc. So if you just put the category of foods and you don't put whether it's organic or not, you may miss a fundamental influence on your health and also your quality of life. Is this true? After Bayer bought Monsanto, did Germany ban GMO crops in their country? No, Germany decided to phase out Roundup glyphosate, okay. which is like a big blow because Bayer, of course, is German. Um, so they're in the process of phasing it out along with many countries. In 2015, the WHO Com Committee on Cancer determined that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen. So what also happened after Bayer bought Monsanto and right after it, um, they Monsanto convinced them, oh, these lawsuits against Roundup for cancer, they're not going to be very expensive. We'll put aside 260 or $270 million, and that should be all we need. The first case, the jury awarded $289 million to Lee Johnson. Now, that was reduced by the judge later on, but now Bayer is looking at settling for $16 billion for the 125,000, 150,000 people with just one type of cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They are going to get some settlement, but we have linked glyphosate to many other cancers, we meaning the community that looks at it, the scientific community, the doctor's community. We've linked it to many types of cancers, to autism, to diabetes, to skin conditions, brain fog, hypertension, um, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, basically the whole host of diseases. And there are very specific, plausible causative pathways. And if you look at like 30 epidemiological charts, you can see the rise of the disease running parallel with the rise of the use of GMO soy and corn or the Roundup sprayed on it. That correlation alone doesn't prove anything. But knowing that the animals in the animal feeding studies, when they're force-fed GMOs or Roundup, they suffer from those diseases or their precursors. And when animals are taken off of GMOs and Roundup, both livestock and pets, they recover, as do humans, from those and similar diseases. There is a lot of evidence now so much evidence that I've been able to convince tens of thousands of doctors by simply presenting that evidence, they are now prescribing organic diets to their patients and then reporting to me that it's practically miraculous. But those doctors that have been in practice since before GMOs were introduced, like my friend, Dr. Michelle Perrow, a pediatrician, she said that starting soon after GMOs were introduced, there was a whole set of complex serious issues that became commonplace, things she had never seen in her practice, and other things that were not 
reacting and recovering in the ways that old problems did until she, she happened to read my book and then realized it could be the GMOs and the Roundup, changed the diet of the children and the families and saw dramatic improvement. So she wrote a book, What's Making Our Children Sick. But when she put the family on an organic diet, because say one son had autism, everyone in the family got better. The this daughter didn't, her ADHD reversed, the kidney problems and the father reversed, the mother lost weight, and she wasn't treating the rest of the family. They just switched to organic. But she saw this in her practice, which is almost 40 years old. So she saw the changes and she saw how to recover through dietary intervention. How long has glyphosate been on the market? It came out in the 70s, but it spiked when GMOs were introduced in 1996. It went up dramatically since because the amount of GMOs and Roundup Ready crops increased and the amount of glyphosate that was sprayed on it because of these herbicide-tolerant weeds also increased. So it's taken 20 to 40 years or so for us to get enough evidence to show that glyphosate could be having massive impact on human health. Um, so I would assume at some point uh, it's going to get taken off the market, which means what they're going to have to do is change the product in some way. Is there any uh, systems in place in the future to protect us from harmful stuff like this? Or are we just going to get another product that's changed a little tiny bit, but will take another 20 to 40 years for us to realize that it's damaging humans? There are individuals and organizations working towards that. I just interviewed someone for my Live Healthy, Be Well podcast um, who's trying to create independent research uh, for evaluating and registering pesticides rather than al just allowing the government, the government allowing the companies to do their own research. I mean, we, we have identified and caught companies red-handed doing not only unethical and rigged research, but illegal research. And, and submitting the information to the EPA. Ghostwriting studies and then paying scientists to sign it. Um, substituting dead rats and mice for live ones and, and not reporting it. I mean, Monsanto's executive went to jail uh, for the um, work that they did in the testing when he went to the in industrial biotest, which was the, one of the biggest frauds in history of science. This company was supposedly doing research for the pesticide companies and the pharmaceutical companies, and they were just making stuff up. So um, we, we know that the FDA is a captured organization. The person in charge of policy for GMOs when it was created was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney and later Monsanto's vice president. He overruled and uh, ignored the concerns by the consensus of the scientists at the FDA that GMOs might be dangerous and could lead to allergies and toxins and new diseases and nutritional problems and simply said, no testing necessary, no labeling necessary. Monsanto could determine if its foods are safe and doesn't even have to tell the FDA. The EPA, they're, they're Documents made public from a recent lawsuit with Roundup showed they had, Monsanto had lapdogs there working on their behalf. And so all of that shows that the current regulatory system is captured. So we need Congress to step in to take it out of the hands of these captured organizations and give them specific guidelines for disinterested third-party scientists to do the research and real research. So I was talking to this Dr. Chuck Benbrook yesterday 
and he said that um, the testis, the pesticide testing protocols were not even state of the art in the 1980s and haven't changed since then. So we don't have a mechanism today, but that's one of the urgencies that we're facing. Now, looking towards the future, there's uh, some pretty interesting genetically modified uh, changes that are happening. They are working on trying to make GMO bacteria, aren't they? Oh, yeah. You see, gene editing is another form of genetic engineering. It's prone to all sorts of side effects. You can end up with massive collateral damage up and down the DNA, chromosomes switching uh, and reattaching. You can pull up DNA from the Petri dish, putting in bacterial DNA into cows, cow DNA into mice. All of these things have been documented. But the biotech industry is telling governments, oh, it's predictable, it's safe, it's just like breeding, it should have no regulatory requirements, and many governments are capitulating and believing them, including the United States and many others. So right now, you can buy a gene editing kit on Amazon, you can build your own lab for less than $2,000 and for the price of dinner, create new microbes. So gene editing is a dangerous form of genetic engineering, but it's cheap and easy. The easiest uh, organisms to genetically engineer are also the most dangerous. That's the microbes, including bacteria, including viruses, including all the other little guys. <clears throat> now, what we know, we didn't need a pandemic to know that microbes can travel the earth and mutate and infect. They also swap genes. So if you introduce a genetically engineered microbe <clears throat> with a new genetic arrangement that did not be, it was not part of the billions of years of evolution, it may end up around the world and in, inserting itself into other organisms so it's now present in ecosystems around the planet, including inside of us. Now, scientists are realizing that the microbiome the microbial ecosystems inside us and everywhere are fundamental to life, health, and evolution. 80% of human diseases have their source in disruption of the microbiome. The microbiome has been outsourced in the human body to conduct about 90% of the daily functions as it's co-evolved. So even though we only have 22,000 genes in our DNA, less than earthworms, we have 3.5 million genes in the microbiome community living inside us. And that's not even as much as in soil and in the environment. It is mission critical. And yet a single GM microbe, or a million of them, which may be introduced in this generation, can disrupt that microbiome, cause permanent or widespread disease, damage ecosystems, even collapse ecosystems. In the film, don't let the gene out of the bottle, which is at protectnaturenow.com. It's just 16 minutes, it's fast paced, it's eye opening, and it shows, for example, two types of GM microbes that were planned to be released. And if they had been, one may have ended terrestrial plant life, rendering soil on the planet sterile. One may have changed weather patterns. There was an avian flu that was genetically engineered to be airborne, that if that escaped, it was up to 24 times more deadly than the COVID-19 virus. We make a pretty good argument that it's dangerous through these bad actors. 
But even if it's just mild incremental changes, because gene editing can easily genetically engineer massive numbers of microbes, we are going to change and damage biological evolution as we know it unless we lock it down. So at protectnaturenow.com, when you've seen this 60-minute film and you're like, oh my God, what do we do? There's a click to what you can do, an advocacy platform where you can join thousands of others and send our latest white paper or film or congressional report to your elected officials, your media in your area with a single click. You can send it immediately, you can customize the message, and then we'll let you know when we've loaded the next campaign so that they can receive the next set of information, articles, um, webinars. We're educating not only this country's uh, elected officials and media, but if you enter your address and you're in Canada or Australia or the UK or the EU, your elected officials and media will show up. And not only can you email them, but you can tweet them. We've set it up so that it's very easy to protect nature now. And it is so compelling, the stories that we're sending and the data that we're sending. We have interest in Washington now to create bills to lock down the release of genetically engineered microbes, to stop the enhancement of potentially pandemic pathogens that could lead to new pandemics. And these are our two goals of Protect Nature Now. Yeah, this is a scary thing, is we just, I mean, we've been living it for the past 18 months. We have seen how something can start in one location and spread across the entire planet within a few months. And with how easy it is for stuff to travel now, it would not take that long for the wrong bacteria or whatever to just wipe out life. And that's pretty scary. So if if there's people messing around with bacteria or very minute um, organisms that once it's out of the bag, we can't control, that is very, very scary and dangerous to play with. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, there's not a deep understanding of this, Brian. It's like it's like you would never, no one would, hand a, a uh, launch code or launch button to an infant or an adolescent for an atom bomb and say, oh, don't press the green button. That is ridiculously obvious. But what's not obvious is you should never hand a gene editing kit to anyone and say, oh, don't release the microbes outdoors. It's like, I don't know if you saw Ghostbusters years ago, where it says, oh, don't cross the beams. Uh, why? It would be bad. I'm a little short on bad. What do you mean? Imagine every molecule of your body exploding at the speed of light. It's like, this would be bad. Don't release the GMO microbes, please. Now, not every microbe is going to be a problem. Not everyone is going to survive. Not everyone is going to have a, an unpredicted catastrophic effect. Even among the bad actors that are shown in the film, we don't know for sure if the genetically engineered bacteria that was featured at the beginning would actually displace its natural counterpart and turn all root structures to alcohol and spread around the world and eliminate terrestrial plants. We don't know if it would happen, 
but we know theoretically it could. We don't know if the other one, which changes the nature of bacteria, which normally condenses water from, from moisture, which creates ice crystals and snow, but the genetic engineered version is impotent. We don't know if that would have displaced the natural version and changed weather patterns and rain patterns and snow patterns on Earth forever. But it's possible. So we know so little about the microbiome, but with 50,000 peer-reviewed published studies over the last five years, we have linked it to human health. We know that it is a powerhouse. We know that it is fundamental to detoxification, immunity, digestion, and that there's an amazing, complex, intelligent, awe-inspiring way that it works to inoculate babies and feed the baby's microbiome and make sure they're safe. We know that it is mission critical, but we are just learning how. But at the same time, we've also now introduced a technology that could damage and change it forever. It's irresponsible to allow that to go out. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll have enough data to risk that, but certainly not in the near future. Yep. Yeah. If I know it's hard for people to really wrap their mind around you know, something taking over and us not really having a an efficient way to prevent it from happening or stop it from getting to be such a big problem. But for people, almost every location in the world has, you know, some sort of noxious weed or an insect. Pine beetles is a big one in uh, states with all the forests. Um, noxious weeds, you can see that, you know, you might have a noxious weed in your state and you have to go through certain uh, measures to make sure that you're not transporting that to other parts of the state. And we're not able to stop any of those from spreading. We're doing the best we can, but we're not able to stop those. And those are larger things that we can monitor. Something that you need a microscope to see, once it's out, it's out. It's over. I, I love your analogy. In fact, I've used it often. Um, I like the because it's so graphic, I like the rabbit uh, introduction in 1859 on Christmas Day in Victoria in Australia. 24 rabbits to help settlers feel more at home so they could hunt rabbits. Well, rabbits multiply like rabbits. And by the 1920s, there was over 10 billion. No natural predators or very few. So that was like so dramatic. The thing is, it was a well-meaning release. Let's make settlers feel more at home. Well, by almost every account, genetically engineered or organisms, whether microbes or not, can be ticked off as potential invasive species. But as you said, the microbes more so on steroids. So you don't even know if someone is walking through an airport carrying it. They can't release, they can't take it out of their bag. It's there. Same thing, you can't go and find, okay, where are the microbes that are, that are the SARS-CoV-2, the, the COVID-19 virus? We can't find it. You know, it's, it's, not, it's just out there. So the only time, and this is made clear in the film over and over and over again, the only time you have to control these microbes is before you release them. And so because the process of genetic engineering is prone to side effects, we're introducing new genetic elements, they will mutate, they will be swapped with other organisms, 
There are so many levels of unpredictability, and there's such catastrophic potential that this is an existential threat like no other from technology that we must get under control. So our Protect Nature Now campaign, like we built a movement over 25 years to convince people that GMO foods were unsafe, and we were successful. 51% of Americans, 41% of the world population believes that GMO foods likely causes health dangers. It does, but we, now we know, people know that. We don't have 25 years to spare. So rather than doing it incrementally and slowly and building a movement, we need to create an immediate movement. We need to create offices around the world, introduce other movements to pick this up as a plank on their platforms. And for that, we need some money. And so I'm bolder than I am than I've ever been asking for people when you go to Protect Nature Now and you see the movie and you want to help, there's two things you can do. You can make a donation, ideally a monthly donation, so that we can count on it coming each month so we can budget for it and hire the personnel and open the offices and make the next movie and go to the platform and contact all your elected officials and all your uh, and the local local media, and that should take you maybe three minutes the first time, less after that. So two actions to support, to protect nature now, to safeguard biological evolution as we know it. And the thing is, it's actually working. We have people in Congress that say, this makes sense, what do we do? I'm gonna go to DC, I'm gonna talk with them, we're gonna figure out what we can do practically. Yep. It's a super important thing that you're doing over there at protectnaturenow.com. Um, you also have Don't Let the Gene, Gene Out of the Bottle, which people can go and view as well. Uh, responsibletechnology.org is another one of your sites, and Live Healthy uh, Be, Be Well. LiveHealthyBeWell.com is also another one. Is there any final things you want to make sure that we leave here knowing, Jeffrey? So, in the context of this work, there's a lot of anxiety and fear and depression out there for a lot of other reasons. And we can choose to carry this knowledge as a burden, but I'm going to offer another invitation. No other generation has had the technology that could damage all living beings and all future generations in this way, which means no other generation no other humans in our past have had the ability to protect all living beings and all future generations. As the new technology is available, it means that humanity has a new responsibility to see itself and nature through a new lens. The fact that it is an existential threat gets attention. It's like a life-threatening disease gets attention and changes people's lifestyle. This is a life-threatening situation for humanity and the planet. And we have an invitation for humanity to become the safeguard element, to protect nature now, to protect biological evolution as we know it, and to see ourselves in a new role. So it's an interesting thing that the existential threat is demanding an evolution of thinking and an evolution of acting. And this is an honor to, for me to participate in. It's like a perfect converging 
line of evidence and converging synchronistic events. The pandemic has made it perfectly timed to introduce this message. Everyone knows that microbes can travel the world and wreak havoc. Everyone knows they can mutate. They may not know that they can swap genes with all sorts of other organisms, but everyone is wanting to do something to prevent future catastrophes. So we come and say, okay, no gain of function enhancement of potentially pandemic pathogens, which they escape, could cause new pandemics. But if we really want to implement the lessons of the pandemic, we have to look for the potential for microbes to do the damage outdoors as well. So if we're really going to meet the unmet need of protecting humanity and the world from future problems, we need to implement this new, these new laws and policies. This is the perfect time for so many reasons to have this campaign become a new global movement. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. I'm glad that you are so passionate about this and you're putting in the good fight. Uh, we need more people to help support you and we need more. We need to duplicate you as many times as possible so we can really spread the word around because this is a big deal. And it seems like the more we advance as a species and our technology advances and everything, the more we walk a very fine line between um, success as uh, the human race and just destroying everything, which is kind of concerning. Yes. Well said, Brian. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving this opportunity to get this message to so many others. And I encourage everyone to do something right away to share it with others or to get more informed and protect nature now is a good start. There's definitely some concerns that we need to be aware of when it comes to these D GMO microbes. And Jeffrey brings up a lot of very good points that we should take into account. And whether that leads to regulations or whatnot, uh, we need to make sure that people can't just order a kit on Amazon and be able to manipulate stuff and potentially release it to the world because we don't know what's going to happen. So again, you can go to protectnaturenow.com, uh, responsibletechnology.org, and livehealthybewell.com to learn more about the projects that Jeffrey is working on and uh, to see how you can help to uh, prevent these things from getting released and causing massive accidents in the world. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.